Nelson Knowlton Mason. I'm Stanley Bradley, and we're friends turned family getting together to tell stories, laugh, observe, and think. This is the family meeting. So this episode is going to be delving into the topic of what we're calling consciousness with what happened with the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial. We've been thinking a lot about this idea of consciousness, when consciousness happens, when are you aware of consciousness, when are you aware of what's around you, particularly this idea of awareness versus wokeness versus Mm -hmm. this kind of tension between what you have experienced in your life versus what society is telling us, which again, I think ties back perfectly this weekend, this week for a lot of folks, the Derek Chauvin trial and the George Floyd murder was their first time really engaging with what police brutality looks like and what black folks have been saying for years since Mm -hmm. almost since the inception of this country and what that means I think that for a lot of people this whole idea of consciousness is new to them Mm -hmm. okay this is something that happens outside of my normal outside of my normal experience in a very visceral way Right, and which can so, put them on like a, a different level of consciousness and exactly. or m- even make a different level of consciousness available to them, which yes. I think a lot of people feel the ability to opt in and out of that yes. as well. Definitely. I think, you know, just, and that, and it's not just, I think one of the things that we do a lot in our society is we, particularly us as a black folk, we put ourselves like we clump that every black person has that same experience. Right. And that they're, that on certain levels, their consciousness, their awareness is the same based on our skin color when mm-hmm. sometimes our privileges, mm-hmm. the way we grew up mm-hmm. affects the way we are conscious about things. Right. That's right. That's right. Because, exactly right. Yeah. So I think, again, I think even as we're talking about you know, again, the George, like the George Floyd, the George Floyd murder being the uh, symbol of this, I still think that, you know, even us as black folk, we are at different, le- we have different levels of consciousness, right? Right, and a spectrum yes. of connection to that consciousness. Exactly. Yeah, like you said, um, kind of going back to the beginning and understanding for the two of us, what led to our current levels of consciousness and what has our consciousness wokeness and awareness been along the way yeah I think for me the first homeless girl I remember when she came to our school I was in probably fourth grade like 10 years old Mm -hmm. and mind you this is coming from me mostly working class middle class background racially diverse for Alabama which means black and white people like Mm -hmm. fairly integrated like 60 40 either way Mm -hmm. um again very stable married parents two incomes, homeowners, Mm -hmm. I'm a boy, college educated, but you know, then, you know, very stable, what we consider middle-class home life, not rich, but not definitely not struggling, Mm -hmm. um, just secure. And I remember, and I don't even actually remember how we figured out that she was homeless, but I remember when she came into my class and I remember because in those days, and particularly for our neighborhood, because we were pretty much a neighborhood of small middle-class houses. So there wasn't a lot of transition in term, like in the middle of the school year, like people just didn't move mm-hmm. because they owned their homes. They didn't mm-hmm. just move in the middle of the school year. And so I think she came to school in October, which is unusual. Like who gets a new kid in October? You know, mm-hmm. most people move in August or in May. Mm-hmm. And I think the next thing I remember is that she wore the same clothes to school the very next day. Like I vividly remember that. Mm -hmm. And I vividly remember kids making fun of her. Mm. And I think that was the first time I became aware of, just aware that not everybody had the same privileges, the same support system that I had. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of my first trigger with awareness. And so that was really, like I said, it's 
it's obviously something that stuck with me because I can remember it now. And I'm 43 years old and I remember, like I can picture her, she had brown hair. She's a white girl, which again, Mm -hmm. to me, that wasn't necessarily the point. Mm -hmm. Because to me, growing up, and this is gonna sound real crazy, I thought only white people got divorced. Because all oh, the black gosh. people, yes, I thought that that was a divorce. It is the most random thing. Oh, gosh. Because all of the black, <laughs> like, so mind you, I have a large extended family. And thinking back on it now, I know that some of my cousins, their parents were divorced. Mm-hmm. But it just like the people in my immediate circle, my parents were married, my grandparents were married. Most of the cousins I spent my time with were married. My friend's parents were married. Mm-hmm. And they were all black. And the white, it was the white folks that I knew who were like, I've got a stepsister. I was like, what's a stepsister? It was <laughs> the so white random. folks. It was like white folks I knew who, and maybe it could be because the white folks I knew went through the official divorce channel and black folks are just like with their own kind of, okay, you just getting out of the house. You're not doing <laughs> nothing official. I don't know, but I just like, I divorce is something I, I have associated with white people and did not stop associating with it until probably till I got to high school. Like, <laughs> honestly and truly. Like, even though I kind of knew, like, to me, divorce was something white people did. It was not a Black thing. That's funny. And so, again, I think that just talks about awareness and how your, your surroundings and your, for lack of a better word, privileges, I guess, shape your awareness. So that, like, that is the one those are a couple of things I remember, like when I first became aware that yeah. not everything was the same. You yeah. Know, that not everybody lived the same life. Yeah. Under the same circumstances. Yeah. So that, I think that was my first transition into awareness. My first experience with wokeness would be my dad has always been political. Mm-hmm. And by political, I mean talked about politics. It wasn't a thing where you didn't talk about it. He openly, that they would take me. I remember going to vote with them from a young age. I remember. That's great. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember going to vote with them after school. My dad would always, um, he was part of a union so that, you know, he'd go to his union meetings. And I remember this was the 80s and, you know, Ronald Reagan is a deity in mainstream United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. He was not a deity in the Bradley household. He mm. was the man who, with the air traffic controllers, busted the air traffic control union, which in my house was a grave error mm-hmm. because, you know, how dare you bust this union, which I still agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, like my dad just said, he was racist. He was, mm. and, and like, you know, again, didn't know the specifics, know now some of the things, some of the symbols that Ronald Reagan did, like he kicked off his first, his reelection campaign in Philadelphia, Mississippi. And for those of you who don't know what happened in Philadelphia, Mississippi, it's the um, genesis of the movie, Mississippi Burning, where Schwerner, Goodman and Cheney, three young men who were registering black people to vote, they were lynched and their bodies were left to die. Nobody was charged in the case. Mm -hmm. And so Ronald Reagan kicked off his second campaign for president in Philadelphia, Mississippi under the banner of states' rights. Mm. So like there's a very clear connection and of, between Ronald Reagan and racism that my dad was always sure that I was aware of, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, just thinking about the other thing I think about, because I also feel like there's a very much a school, the first time you're outside of your house is when you're kind of aware. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had a mock election in 1986 six or 87. It was a gubernatorial campaign. Guy Hunt was running for governor and he was the first Republican governor, believe it or not, in Alabama. And for those of you like now you think of Alabama, you think straight Republicans, bright yeah, red definitely. state. Yeah. Growing up, it was not that way. It was the Democrats. It was, I won't bore you with the history lesson, but the solid South was just like, that was the first time that the solid South was breaking apart. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember my dad saying, Guy Hunt is no good. And Guy Hunt only had, and this is not to, this is not to be elitist, but I remember my dad saying, if Guy Hunt were a black man, 
there's no way he'd be he'd he'd be elected because he didn't have a college degree. Mm. And my dad was like, "This is," and I, I I remember it as clear as day because we had the little election and like people voted for Guy Hunt and I did not because in my house we did not support Republicans and we did not support Guy Hunt mm-hmm. and. I can't remember. I can't even remember who the Democratic candidate was, but I was very aware that we do not support Guy Hunt. And from then on, like I said, I think I've always, because of my dad, and I've always had this kind of wokeness when it comes to political things mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what it means to be black and what it means to, you know, have that civic duty. So in a sense, there's always been this wokeness. Wokeness wasn't the word we called it, right? But definitely this idea that you need to be conscious of who's representing you, be conscious of your obligations and just be conscious of the world around you, really. He's a very caring, giving person. Mm -hmm. And so I remember one Sunday we were going to church and for some reason it was just me and him. I don't know where my mom and sister were. But he saw a lady on the side of the road. And I think she might've had a couple of kids with her and she looked stranded and he stopped and pulled over and helped her out. And that's the kind of thing that my dad always did. Again, going back to this idea of, for me, being aware that not everybody has those same privileges that you have. Right. You know? Yeah, I think mine, my upbringing was similar in some ways, but I think different in maybe some key ways when I think about, um, particularly when you mentioned money, like the one example I was thinking of is the fact that I did ballet starting at 10, which is a pretty expensive hobby. And, you know, my sister played the piano. So that was, I mean, we had a piano. So that was, and I think, you know, I'm not sure all the way where we got the piano from, but um, once you have the piano, yeah. all you got to do is pay for like music and lessons, which are demonstrably cheaper than ballet. And so one of the things I always thought about and started to draw some lines for me was the frequency of other girls and their ability to get shoes, to get new shoes. And I think I started dancing on point when I was maybe 12 and point shoes are actually just really silly shoes. <laughs> just like <laughs> ridiculous. They're made out of glue and fabric and nails and satin. And it's, they're ridiculous. And you, like the human body is not supposed to do that. But anyway, initially, you know, literally they're made out of paper. They're literally made out of paper and glue. So you sweat in them. You put your whole body weight on them. So they don't last any length of time, Right. And so they start to break down. And then when they break down, they really can do like serious damage to your foot. So you really do need to have fairly new shoes all the time. And they're like 60, $65 a piece. Which was which, significant. You know, I'm it's significant. Yeah. <laughs> like my, and, and really at the level that I was at, I probably needed them new shoes, like brand new shoes, probably every, I could probably get away with like every eight weeks. And I'm pretty sure I did not get them on that cadence. Like I got them and maybe every, every, instead of every two months, I got them every three months. So there was like a four week window where I'm wearing shoes that are really too old to support me. And, you know, it's like, I felt some kind of way. Cause I felt like these other girls aren't struggling in the same way. They're like, they look better. Cause they're like pink satin on the outside. So once you wear them enough times, they're dirty. They like, can, it's very evident that they're not new. And like I said, it's hard to dance in old shoes. And so um, that was a line that was drawn for me that I was like, I would like new shoes. I need new shoes. And my parents were sometimes like, no, like, and, and not in a, we don't care about you kind of way, but, but just like, you just got new shoes. The shoes are like $65. Like no one else in my house was getting new shoes every two months. Yes. Um, And, you know, and so that was like the main example. Then there's other little stuff. Like there was this period of time where velvet leotards were very popular, which seems odd (laughs) again, because ballet is a very physical thing and you're sweating. And why would you want a velvet leotard? But that was the cool thing. And so I did not get a velvet leotard 
until the end of that trend. And the velvet on my leotard was literally just the straps and the little top, just a little top part. Whereas some girls had like multiple velvet leotards. They had like full body velvet leotards. Um, and so again, like it, it's, it's like any ecosystem, right? There's like a set of things that become the cool things. And then if you have them, you are cool. You're if cool. you don't have them, you're not. And so I was not in the cool velvet leotard, uh, in the first wave of people who got velvet leotards. Um, and so that was the thing. I think, you know, there was something about the way that my parents raised us, which I'm not, I, I have not ever figured out what it is. It's some sort of intangible, but there's some sort of intangible that they raised us to be able to like observe those things and not be like deeply bothered by them. Like I would be like, wow, I wish I had better shoes. Like these hurt right now. And I wish I had some new shoes. But I don't remember carrying like a lot of anger or resentment toward my parents about that. The leotard thing, I was like, well, <laughs> when I did get yeah. one, I was really happy. Like I just remember <laughs> being like, ah, finally, velvet leotard. I remember it was it was chocolate brown, which is a risk considering <laughs> I'm also chocolate brown. But um, sure it looked very lovely. It was lovely, and I was very excited to have it. Um, but that was one of my first exposures to difference. But I think one thing that was, was also different is that, um, I went to a private school and we had to pay tuition from the beginning, like from kindergarten through 12th grade. So in that sense, that really weeds out people who are at a lower socioeconomic status. And my parents prioritized that for us, which meant that there were other things that we weren't able to have. And so I distinctly remember seeing how some people's houses, like, you know, you get invited over for a party or whatever. And I'm just like, good Lord, this house just keeps going. <laughs> like it just, <laughs> you can go around that corner. You can go upstairs around. You can't even see the whole thing. And you know, the house I grew up in, you stand on one side, you can see the other side very clearly. You're <laughs> like, there's like, the other it. side. <laughs> there's the stairs you know, four <laughs> rooms upstairs and that's it like and so there were I think for me pretty quickly like a very clear awareness that like we did not have everything that everyone else had but as I've said in previous episodes there was also this sort of grounding that like that wasn't the objective and it was very clear that my parents a, worked very hard to give us what we had and B, cared a lot about us so that that, you know, what they, the work that they did was to, in some ways, try to like level the playing field for us. Yes. Um, and so awareness was there, but there was also some smoothing that I feel like might've happened. And I think it might've been because of the priority on a religion and b schooling so it was like these are the important things like i i think my dad liked ronald reagan i think i don't know because we did not deeply talk about it and we did not deeply talk about what it meant to be black in america and so the levels of awareness that I had were really sort of, like I said, smoothed over by these other concepts that were presented as the main concepts. And so I started to really sort of feel that difference, like start to have some of the differences get bumpier, if you will, <laughs> less, yeah. less, smooth less smooth for me in college there was something about the the whiteness that I was proximate to in before I went to college that felt, I don't know, safe. I don't know if safe is the right word, but like acceptable. Like we were all kind of doing the same thing. And there was something that struck me as very different about the whiteness that, that I was proximate to in college. And I was like, this is a whiteness that I don't think I feel comfortable with. And I, I think that my awareness started to grow. I don't think at that point I had any, any level of wokeness, really. If we're defining wokeness as like awareness of white supremacy, I don't, I don't believe that I, those are words that 
came into my mind at all. Um, somehow I got into a senior level class called the political thought of African-Americans. And you know, that was a mess. <laughs> I had no business in that class. You were like African-American, I'm going to sign up. <laughs> I was like, I am African-American. And that's as far as the thinking went. I was like, I am also African-American. So I will take this class. Can I tell you what a mess that was? Like the professor, literally, if you could draw a picture of what this professor looked like, you probably would hit it. Black guy locks down to his butt. Always wore some big uh, piece of fabric around his shoulders with African patterns on it. Smelled like incense. Like yes. I'm not, and I'm not making that up. That is not a caricature. That is what this man looked like. And smelled like. And I don't remember what I learned in that class because I was so stressed out. <laughs> I just should not have been in there. I was like, these people have been thinking about being black for a long time. And I had been thinking about being black since they handed me this textbook. I was like, oh no, what am I doing in here? And I remember, um, right, it was second semester senior year and I had some cool spring break trip planned, but I also had the presentation in that class the Friday before we left, like the Friday before spring break started. And I couldn't enjoy, I couldn't even enjoy planning. Like I was so stressed out that I had to sit in this room with these people who've been thinking about being black their whole lives and tried to present something. I managed to get through it, but I'm pretty sure I sweat through whatever shirt I had on. Um, I don't think I've ever heard this story, which is fascinating. It was a dark time. (laughs) I don't know why I class. I have so many follow-up questions now, (laughs) but we'll leave that. I have no idea why I took that class, but (laughs) it stressed me out on multiple (laughs) levels. Um, But, that and it's funny that that was the end of my senior year because I feel like then right after I left college was like this like I referenced my black awakening when I joined Teach for America moved to Atlanta and I was like everybody's black oh my gosh and so that was like my first like awareness I think took my awareness level took like a huge jump then and I started to you know, I took the Stanley Bradley Black <laughs> Awareness Class 101. Um, the movie portion of that was my favorite. Li- like, folks, literally, he, this man gave me a list and told me to watch these movies and that it would Let not me. be acceptable if I had not watched them. And I did. Let's watch um, Love Jones right here. <laughs> I, and I, it's true, people. I did not watch Love Jones until sometime after 2002. Um, now, what I will say, I did catch Brown Sugar in the original release. Yes, yes. Because that, was, that after, was around that time, yeah. And I still, that movie is in my heart. That's in my top five, <laughs> top five movies. Anyway, like we said at the beginning, all Black people do not have the same level of awareness in any no. way, shape, or form. Um, And my favorite Black people to talk to are Black people who understand that. Like, to me, it doesn't happen to me anymore, but I feel like when I was in that phase, and you know this, yeah. when I was in that phase, we would often be in groups where there was an assumption that we were homogeneous in terms of our awareness, exposure to black culture, familiarity with all the with things that are intrinsic to black culture. And I just wasn't. And so, you know, I will publicly thank you because in those moments, I distinctly remember you were always my bridge to whatever that conversation was. Yeah. I would just be like, I'd make sure if we were with certain people that I was sitting next to you. I'd be like, <laughs> Stan will help me get through this moment. Oh, yes. If we dive into some deep black culture thing, he will like whisper to me <laughs> what I need to know, yeah. when to laugh, <laughs> like My what dear. to say. <laughs> so I don't embarrass This is myself. what that means. And just thinking about, I'm thinking, cause I'm thinking about that period of time. And I'm like you, I think, I don't know what it is and I'm sure there's somebody probably smarter who can explain this. I mean, I think partly, partially it's our history, right? This need to share the same experience. And like be clear that we all share the same and, experience. Yes, and be clear that we all share the same experience. Uh-huh. And I don't know if some of it is that, again, with that word idea, consciousness, awareness, that we are not always aware that other people don't share that same experience mm-hmm. or which I hope is not the case, that we are aware and for some reason are disdainful of that. Because mm. somehow we have, and this again is when we talk about 
um, wokeness, somehow we have, it somehow comes across that if you are not at this level, there is some deficiency with your blackness. Or that you're some sort of traitor to the culture or that you don't value your blackness. Exactly. I think that that I think that is the thing that is that somehow that is supposed to signal that you don't value your blackness rather than just that you had a different experience right. than other people. Right. And I think that is dangerous because again, the cops don't ask you whether you've seen Love Jones before they right. shove you to the ground. I think, you know, in that, that example makes me think of something else that like, you know, I want to give, I want to give us grace, right? And be like, we're not trying to check black cards at the door. Even I think that that's definitely possible sometimes, but I think that maybe, and I'm working this out as I'm talking right now, maybe there's something where we're just trying to like, come together and be sure that like at if I'm with other black people that like out what happens outside of this group of people we can't control but I just kind of need to make sure that I'm safe with you yes other black person yes and that's maybe how we've decided yeah to to decide if we're safe it's funny though to me that you talk about college being your awareness kind of awakening to your awareness and Mm -hmm. kind of your first stirrings of consciousness because for me I think college was if not a continuation it was the period where and this is we might dive off into something deep but this college was the first time I was aware really aware and this is because I went to a HBCU of differences among black people can I say of... one thing real quick before yeah. you go on with that? Um, and this is another one of those things I'm like in my file of embarrassing things is that when I left high school, I did not know what the initials HBCU stood for. And I don't have a lot of regrets in life generally. And I don't even know that I say it's a regret, but if I could go back and do anything different, I would go to an HBCU. And in the event that I ever have any children, they're going to get to go to school wherever they want to. However, I am going to make sure that they know what those initials stand for and that they visit at least one or two and consider it. Okay, well, continue. Okay, and to piggyback off that, I think that's important because I think what HBCUs teach you, and again, we're talking about in that safe space and raising your consciousness. As for me, at my particular HBCU, I went to Morehouse in the AUC, that was the first time I was exposed to Black people who were really affluent, mm. like some of them downright rich, mm-hmm. and the ways in which that plays out among our community. Like mm. colorism, that was the mm. first time I really understood what colorism was, how colorism worked, mm-hmm. how it operated in a society. And again, this whole idea that not every black person is has two parents right i remember other people uh, not just white people get divorced divorced. (laughs) yeah and and this is so funny when you talk about conscious and awareness i remember this dude we were it was freshman year we were all sitting around talking about families and he asked me if where i lived and who i lived with somehow the the point was i said i lived with my parents in huntsville alabama and i will never forget this phrase he was like, you say that like everybody does. Ooh. And I, and it, and it has stuck with me to this day because he did not. And like, that was the first time I really, anybody had ever checked me on that. Mm. And then it was really like, he said, you, and I mean, it was, he wasn't being mean. He was just like, mm-hmm. you just, you say that like everybody does. And because mm-hmm. I thought everybody did. Mm. And like I said, college was my first experience where the majority, not the majority, but where, you know, people, their family structure yeah. was different from mine in a way that I was able to fully appreciate. Yeah. And like I said, colorism, again, just another level of that awareness, colorism, all of those things yeah. in college. 
And it's also where, you know, you get that language, or at least for me, it was where I started to get that language to kind of talk about what we now refer to as wokeness, you know, Mm -hmm. knowing about Black political thought and things like that. Um, College was where I gained that language, but it was also where I was introduced to those new ideas. And what's what's so strange to me now thinking back on it Mm -hmm. is that it was all around. Like I have cousins who are like, who are as light as Meghan Markle. Okay. And then who run the spectrum all the way down to dark skin, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and everything in between. But it was never like, those are just your family. Like it's never framed to you that when you talk about people having different privileges based on how light their skin is. Right. Like that wasn't something I experienced until I got to Morehouse and Spelman Mm -hmm. and saw that, you know, some, you know, people who looked like each other started hanging out together. Interesting. It was very, very new for me. Um, okay. So then I think, so if we can fast forward, right. So we were, we both had some new things happen to us in college. And then, you know, I think for myself, I have different levels. I feel like I have a different level of consciousness every day. And this doesn't just apply to blackness. Um, this relates to awareness, but, um, I'm curious to hear kind of like the update maybe on like what for both of us, maybe to share where we are sitting in a, like, what are the levels of consciousness that are kind of with you most presently every day and how do we access other levels maybe, or when do we turn on and off other levels of awareness? So for me right now, I think I will say that my level of Consciousness, and I think part of this is also getting older. Mm, definitely. Is, is that this idea that, and I think most of us call it code switching, this idea that you're shifting back and forth mm-hmm. between levels of consciousness is not as prevalent as it would have been in my 20s or 30s. That's because right. partly I think that with confidence, with, with age becomes confidence, the more you know, the less you know but also you're more confident in that little bit that you do know Mm -hmm. that you are able to be more consistent with yourself Mm -hmm. and understand that, okay, this is where I'm always at with, right. With whatever it is, I'm thinking like this, there's kind of a base level Mm -hmm. of consciousness, right? Like, so even if you're thinking about, I think about just professionally, like Mm -hmm. I think I have chosen that in my line of work, I work in the public sector. I'll just say that. Um, in the job that pays me, I'm uh, there's always a base level of awareness that what I do matters because of the population that I serve, right? So there's mm-hmm. always a base level of consciousness that I bring to it. And I think the older I get, the less you stray from trying to explain that to people. For lack of a better word, you don't dumb yourself down mm-hmm. anymore. Like like you said, if you meet someone, and this is not, this is not I think there's a way to do this that's not preachy or condescending, but if someone is not at your level mm-hmm. or not at the place that you are, mm-hmm. I think you. I think the older you get, the more rather than rather than lower yourself to their level of consciousness or operate where they're operating, you try to bring them along with you. I am progressive, like that is my political philosophy. That is the consciousness that I am right now. Like just, you know, I'm not going to be quiet or be, or acquiesce when you say that, and I'll just use it, when you say that Derek Chauvin is not a murderer. That's just, that's just an example, right? right? I'm not going to argue with you that black people experience, that white people experience police brutality. Of course, white people experience police brutality, but black people experience it at a more significant rate versus our population. I'm not having that conversation with you where I'm trying to convince you. I know that fact now. What I'm telling you is this is my fact. This is my, this is the truth. Right. You can come up here and have this discussion with me up here mm-hmm. or we don't have to have a discussion at all. Yeah. That reminds me of um, kind of a, a less 
a less serious example, like uh, that movie we watched, Malcolm and Marie. Yeah. And how they just fought and fought and fought and fought and fought and fought and fought with each other. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 41 years old. I'm not going to fight with you. Like, exactly. We have, we have a disagreement. I'm going to say my thing. If you're not hearing me, I'm going to go ahead and move on. Cause I sit very firmly in like, this is the awareness that I've gained over my years of living. I'm going to use all my communication skills. I can to help you understand that if you can't, then that is going to be the end of this conversation. And so, yes, I understand that. Yeah. That that's so that's what I'm thinking right now. And then I just think um sometimes, and this is gonna be the silly answer. Again, sometimes like you again, like I said, for the most part, I operate at that way. Sometimes those things that are near and dear to my heart, those pop culturally things that I love, you know, that are in you. I said sweet home Alabama. Like that song is horrible. Like it's absolutely horrible. <laughs> But it's Sweet Home Alabama, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm engaging with it in kind of almost a nostalgic way, Mm -hmm. completely understanding that it's trash, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like in a real way. And I think when you're older, you do that. And I think as long as you're in the full understanding that you know what you're doing, Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's a thing that you can make sense out of. Exactly. Yeah, you can make sense out of for yourself, yeah. and that belongs to you personally. Like, again, this is the hard. This is the most horrible thing. But I can watch the movie Gone with the Wind. I can watch that movie. I just it, and it's I also horrible. like that movie. <laughs> it, and it's hard. Like, it is the most racist piece of pop culture <laughs> outside of Birth of a Nation. I think. Right. But I can watch that thing when it comes on on New Year's Eve, or you know, how TNT does the mm-hmm, thing where they mm-hmm. play the classic movies. I can watch Gone with the Wind anytime. But you also are not going to dress up as Brett Butler for Halloween. Exactly. <laughs> so that's like the levels of consciousness is like, okay, I can make sense out of this and understand what it is and how it fits in my life. I'm also not going to like yeah. represent this in the culture. And then I can also, and I can also understand when you're like, when you throw a brick at me, I'm like, say we're not watching Gone with the Wind. I can turn the TV off because I understand <laughs> right. that you don't want to sit up and watch this trash. That's right. I, can, I can completely understand that That's too. Right. How about you? What are you thinking? Um, well, I would say like for me, as it relates to wokeness, my wokeness is growing consistently. I think, so I'm going to say this word, but I, it has some like negative connotations to it usually, but I don't feel like that's what I mean. So I would say like, I feel like I'm behind you in terms of, being able to look at the thing and understand all of the background and the context and the layers of all the layers of ways to understand things, um, particularly as it relates to race. Now, again, other topics, like if we talk about graphic design, right, yeah. it's different. But um, but also no one's ever gotten shot over graphic design that I know of. So that's the whole, <laughs> the, 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 the import feels different there. But um but I, like we said, like, I feel very comfortable in that. Like, I do feel moments where I'm like, ooh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> but I also feel comfortable enough to say it, right? Like, I'm like, I don't know what that is. I will read about it and, and learn about it. And I'm going to try to know more. Um, so I, I feel like that's good. I feel like I have really impressive community around me that I can lean on for these things. And and it's not, and it's funny, we talked about age. It's not always people who are older than me either. It's just people who have been thinking about these issues and aware on these levels for longer. Yeah. Um, you know, my friend Natasha is 10 years younger than me and knows, te- teaches me things all the time um, just because she's been so aware thinking and thinking on that level of what it means to exist in black skin in America, especially since she wasn't born in this country. So, yeah. uh, so that, she's part of that community. You are part of the community. Other people are part of that community. So I feel like that's just what it is. And I feel good about the progress that I'm on. Um, in terms of other levels, like, you know, I would say like, for me, the, the level of consciousness that is most present for me is like an intuitive consciousness. And I would so agree with that. Yeah. And I think that it's something that 
I think has always been true for me. And I think I, I don't know when I started being able to call it out. Um, but there, it's just like, I have a sense to be able to intuit a lot of things and some things truly are being able to like, just sense it. Right. So like when I'm facilitating or standing up in front of a room of people, I can really feel the mood of the room. Right. That's, that's like one thing that's true about me. But then the other thing I think that is true is that what I do is I make observations and then make connections. So I'm able to, like, I feel like what I do is I walk around and like everything has a post-it note on it. And I go around and I like pick up some post-it notes and I just like put them in my, in my pocket and I, you know, read it a little bit as I put it in my pocket. Then I just have a pocket full of post-it notes. And then when I need to make a decision about something, I'm like, oh, this is a blue decision. So I'll like reach in my pocket, pull out all the blue post-it notes, line them up, be like, oh, here's the connection in those things. Great. I can make a quick blue decision. Right. So that a simple way to think about that is like, like when I decided to buy a, um, a house, I, I made that decision in like, in like a week and a half wow. because I had been poking around, looking at things with no intention of buying anything. And then I was just like, Oh, now's the right time. So it's, it sometimes feels like I make from the outside looks, feels like I make really fast decisions, but it really is this like intuitive collection of data um, and then the other thing is that there is a moment where things, there's some, something inside of me that feels like there's like a right. And again, that feels like it could have like good or bad connotations to it. It just, to me, feels like the thing. So whether right is the word, but it's like, this is the thing. So it's like who to trust, what to do, which like in personally in business, you know, last time I talked about deciding to move in with Lance, like that was a very quick decision. Like there was nothing, like there was nothing inside of me that was like warning flag, don't do that. And so it was like, check with yourself inside. Cool. Let's go. And even with business, it's like, you know, I am a small business. I have a certain amount of money that I've earned. And I'm like, what do you do with that money? Do you just leave it in your account? Do you do something strategic with it, like invest it? Do you buy, you know, pay for another staff member or whatever? And so those are things that I feel like I sort of exist on this like intuitive level, which is, which is good. Um, and then it also has like the other side where it's like, I'm able to quickly say when something feels icky and icky yeah. is like not an advanced way to say that, but like when you're just like, this is, this is off. Yes. And it goes from like silly stuff, like like the movie Soul, for example, which I so desperately wanted to really like, but I was watching it and I was like, and then something. at the end, it the credits ran and I was just like, something is not right about this movie. And then I think it was the article written by Damon from Very Smart Brothers yeah. that really did it for me. I was like, this is it. <laughs> and so it's like, there's not always, I'm not always able to get to the words. And I think, you know, if I sat down at the computer and was like, figure out what you don't like about soul, I probably could figure out what I didn't like about soul. But instead I'm like, let me just read this article from this guy. Cause he's dope. And he comes up with really he's, great ways to cool. say things. Yeah. So let me, and I'm like, ah, oh, that's what I don't like about soul. Great. But I also understand why he likes soul. And so there's, there's things like that. And then like, even like, you know, again, like I talked about last episode, sitting for sermons, right? So I was listening to sermons heavily at the beginning of the pandemic and some, some months in it just, I just didn't want to. And it felt like a should, as opposed to something that I really was feeding me. And again, like I've talked before about why, why kind of why that is, but like, those are the kind of things where I'm like, this just doesn't feel right right now. And I think what's what's happening is some sort of integration of the wokeness, like awareness of racial dynamics and white supremacy is merging with that. With your intuition. Yes. And so I'm starting to be able to apply that same level of intuition to those conversations as well. The other thing, and this is, I'm going to veer off a little bit. Go for it. But the other thing I think that you do, that you teach me regularly, is that you communicate extremely well. Thank you, And friend. so your intuition, mm -hmm. and you're able to express that intuition 
in a way that is very clear mm-hmm. and very honest. And I think that adds to your level of awareness, right? In, in some kind of way. I wish I could explain it more clearly, but it's almost like a circle, right? Because you are awake, because you have that intuition mm-hmm. about whatever it is you're feeling, mm-hmm. you're able, once you do find the words, like you may not find them immediately, mm-hmm. but once you sit with it and you do find those words, mm-hmm. you communicate it very clearly, which in turn helps you, which in turns build that skill again. Cause you can have all kinds of feelings about things but it's right. It's when we can put those feelings into words and when we can express those feelings mm-hmm. and articulate them is like mm-hmm. when we grow. Mm-hmm. And I think that you do that articulating part particularly well, particularly to other folks. Mm. And I think that is part of your, and so again, because of the way that you engage with other people, mm-hmm. I think again, that builds on your tuition, your intuition and it's kind of been building. Like that's yeah. one thing I've always known about you is just the way very like just good honest communication like you're going to tell people what you think and not in a way that is right because a lot of times that that and I think this is a struggle for me that I have in terms of being in terms of almost camping down on awareness you're told so often not to be you don't want to come off as sharp or rude when Mm -hmm. you express your feelings Mm -hmm. you do you you express your feelings in a way that are considerate of others but still very clear Mm-hmm. And that is something that you have definitely taught me. And I think that, again, because you do that, it goes in that circle where you, again, it reinforces your intuition, which then makes your intuition more heightened. Right. And again, builds on that consciousness so that you're always adding things to that. Right. When we go back to that global definition of consciousness mm-hmm. and awareness, it's ultimately about what you do with that awareness, with that consciousness, right? It's ultimately about what you do with this idea of, okay, I notice things. Right. I notice yes. how I'm, I notice how I'm interacting with the world. Like just globally, like what good is it to know things and to be conscious of things if you're not using that consciousness, that awareness, that wokeness to using it in your life. Like to using do better. It to do better. So well, if that's not the quote of the episode. I don't know what is. Um, <laughs> what is up for you, my friend, this week? What is up for me is the spelling bee. The New York <laughs> Times spelling bee. Do you know what the spelling bee is? I mean, I clicked the link that you put in the document, but prior to that, no. The spelling bee is for all of you nerds who <laughs> love Scrabble, who love words. You literally, it's what? Six, seven. Seven, seven it's letters. Seven letters. In a, in a, you have to use the middle letter hexagon, hexagon, but it's not a hexagon because it's seven. It's a hexagon. But the one's in the middle. So, okay. Any, that's not the point. Go ahead. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to include the letter that's in the middle in your word. And I'm obsessed with it. I play it every morning. You really? I do. I play it every morning. What's the, and then and then it tracks across the top how many letters yeah, you are how yeah. many words you're getting. Yes, and I refuse to pay for the New York Times subscription, so I only <laughs> play the free one. So it gives you like it lets you make like twenty words, and it's like you're great. Can you subscribe? I'm like <laughs> no, New York Times, you're not getting my four ninety nine. You already get my twelve ninety nine or whatever, my nine ninety nine for your subscription, and then you publish crazy stuff, which I. <laughs> which will be a whole nother conversation. Whole nother conversation. But the spelling bee, yes. The spelling bee, the free version only. All right. Well, it'll be in the show notes. It's fun. I tried it and then I felt dumb and so I closed it. (laughs) (laughs) I think I got, I got like eight words or something and I was like, uh, and I just closed it and went on with my life. What's up for you? What's up for me is called The Midwife. It is a show from PBS. It's British. It's set back in the 60s. I think the episode that I'm on there is 1963. And it's like, it's in Poplar, which I know not much about, but I think it's kind of a poor place. Um, And they are a group of midwives who live at a convent. Some of them are nuns, some of them are not. And it's just this like slow, warm blanket of a show. Like it's not... It's not deep. It's basically, it gives you Downton Abbey vibes. Um, and there's a lot of babies born. 
there's a lot of labor, obviously. <laughs> um, and they just dip the tip of their toe into race. There's a new black nurse who is about Meghan Markle's color. And uh, so I'm always like, could, could we get a, a nope, t- too much. Dark skinned people are too much to talk about. So, okay, that's fine. So she's new, she's uh, Jamaican. And all the all the nurses and midwives and nuns are are just wonderful to her. The other people in the town are not always as nice. A lot of them are. Some of them are not. Um, but it's just lovely. I mean, it's and, and the the thing that's new about it for me is the fact that I was super into it some years ago, and I watched all the seasons. And something made me think it was over. Like, I don't know. The one of the finales made me think that it was done. So I stopped looking for it. Then I saw something on Instagram that was like called midwife renewed for three more seasons. And I was like, I thought they were done like four years ago. So then I looked and I was in season six. I ended season six. They're currently at season nine about to start taping season 10 and they got renewed through 13. I was like, well, okay. So now I have like seven, eight, nine seasons to watch. And they're really, the episodes are really long. So it's just like, it's like the crown. Like you get like, it's like movie length. Oh episodes. yeah. We love the Brits. <laughs> we do. We so anyway, it is, it, it, if you remember nothing else, it is like the show equivalent of like an Afghan. It's just like warm and, and cozy. Curl up on the couch. That's right. the midwife. All right. I think that's it for the week. All right. Support for this podcast comes from Lilac on your creative studios. The family meeting is produced by me and Allison. Additional production, sound mixing, and sound editing by Will Salua, who also wrote and produced our theme song entitled 135th and Coffee. Need a unique track, beat, or sound mixing and editing? You can find his email address and IG handle in our show notes every week. You can find the show notes on what we discussed, including links posted in the blog section on lilacsonyork.com. You can also find a new page on lilacsonyork.com that has links to all of the episodes. So if you want to listen straight from the website, you can. Wow. That was a fun project I did this week. Somebody's been busy. (laughs) (laughs) You can keep up with the show on Instagram at lilacsonyork. And you can find me on social at Allison K. Mason on IG and Twitter, even though I do not tweet. You can find me on social at twice11 on IG and Twitter, even though I do not post on IG. Thanks for listening. Meet you here next week. Bye.